Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. this Wednesday, the 14th of July. Where in the word are you today? I like for us to be, I encourage you to be, it's the good language here. Let's be, let's be in the word. Let's be in the word of God thoroughly, sufficiently before we seek to be out there in the world that God so loves. So let's get into the word before we attempt to get into the world. So where in the word are you today? I am in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So here are the opening five verses. This is the Apostle Paul to to Timothy. Recall here that Paul is really investing in this young man, uh, calling him forward in Christ, calling him, equipping him for leadership in the life of uh, the church and the community. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. So this is the, the charge made not only in the presence of the Father and the Son and the acknowledgement that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead, if you wondered where in Scripture uh, we have you know, some Pauline references to that. Here is one. Um, Paul is also charging Timothy uh, by the very appearing of Christ and by the kingdom of Christ, right? So this is a, this is a charge given in view of uh, the radical reality of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, of this world, and the the reality that we live in the already Jesus has already instituted the kingdom, and the not yet, Jesus has not yet returned um, to fully establish his kingdom, his reign here on earth as he reigns now in heaven. So it's in view of all that, that the Apostle Paul charges Timothy. Again, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first five verses. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So that is uh, the charge to Timothy. And then Paul establishes the, why am I telling you this in this way? So, Timothy, you are to preach the word. Be ready to do so in season and out of season. Uh, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Well, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. But, this is verse 5, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, 
do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So I want to walk through those um, briefly um, because you and I live in a time when people do not endure sound teaching, have itchy ears, and accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. People have turned away from listening to the truth and have wandered off into myths. This is the, these are the headlines we talk about every single day. But as for you, Paul says to Timothy, and by extension to each one of us, be sober-minded. That means to be self-controlled in every situation, having the mind of Christ moment by moment on the matters of the day. Be sober-minded. Sophronos, have the mind of Christ. Endure suffering. That is every affliction, every inconvenience, every sin against you. Bear it with patience and endurance. Do the work of an evangelist. This is a present tense imperative to share the gospel, the good news, the saving good news of the gospel, always and in all ways with every people group and every person. Do the work of an evangelist. Don't be lazy and don't give up on uh, the sufficiency of the good news or the sufficiency of the grace of God to be extended to one more person today through you. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Accomplish your assignment from God. Be on the lookout for and faithfully keep the divine appointments that God has set for you. Scripture tells us God has prepared in advance good works that he has for us to do uniquely, uniquely for you to do. The, the, the ministry to which you are called that you are supposed to fulfill today is not the ministry that I am called to fulfill today. How do I know that? Because I am not going to walk where you walk, nor run into the people you're going to run into, nor have the spheres of relationships that you have. I cannot do, I literally cannot do the ministry that you are called to do today. I'm called to fulfill my ministry. You're called to fulfill your ministry. So uh, how do we do that? Well, we do it with uh, the fullness of the grace and truth with which Christ himself was filled which we, by extension, as his followers, are filled by the very power of the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living God within us right now, right now. Paul charges Timothy, and by extension, you and me, um, and he, he charges us to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill our ministry in the world that God so loves today. Why do we need that kind of reminder and that kind of encouragement? Because we live in a generation of people who do not endure sound teaching. We live in a generation of itchy ears and in a culture that amplifies teachers whose messages and messaging suit those who have given themselves over to the sinful passions of the flesh. That's just the reality of the generation in which we live. Vigilance is necessary, and so is advocacy. Next up, we're going to talk with Michelle Lentz, and we're going to talk about the need to protect the littlest among us. What does it look like? to be a part of the people of God in the world today um, where children are preyed upon almost constantly in our culture. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I've been uh, reading about the status of children, not only around the world, um, as they face not only 
pandemic realities, but they face the realities of um, what we would call privation, the the food shortages around the globe, the challenges that families who live um, day-to-day in subsistence farming around the globe, and people who live in war-torn countries. So the children, uh, the least of these among us, the littlest of these among us, deserve our protection in every place and in every space. And here in the United States of America, we think or we imagine that we care about the concerns of children and that we are doing our level best to protect them. But child predation is on the rise in the United States of America, particularly when we talk about um, sexual predators. And so this conversation um, with Michelle Lentz from the Child Protection League is going to cover content and language that you may find inappropriate for little ears. And so I want to say that in advance of the conversation um, so that you might make make a choice um, in terms of maybe putting your earphones in. Um, or, you know, I don't know if we call them earphones anymore. The the things that go in your ears, those little pods or whatever, um, so that you could listen to what we're going to talk about um, and maybe others would not be overhearing it quite that much. So um, while we're working to get Michelle hooked up with us uh, online, um, I'm going to actually read some of the statistics that she was going to lead off with. And I am reading these from cplaction.com. That's the Child Protection League, cplaction.com. And um, in in particular, I want to talk about the varieties of sexual predation that are um, prosecuted in the United States of America. And so when um, when you think about child predation and child abuse, and we're going to specifically talk about child sexual abuse here, um, it might surprise you to learn that um, 85% of sexual predators convicted, convicted of possessing images of children being raped, um, people who have material in their possession traded online depicting the violent abuse and torture of young children, um, People who are convicted of possessing those kinds of images, 85% of them receive no prison time. None. And you say, well, you know, that's dirty pictures on your computer. How about um, people who produce that kind of content? All right. And if you're producing that kind of content, then you are um, engaged in a contact crime as well. All right. So the production of child abuse imagery, um, those people uh, only receive um, prison sentences at at a rate of 40 percent. Only 40 percent of them go to prison. And um, yeah. So anyway, we've now got Michelle online and she's going to give us the third statistic, which is, you know, how often people criminally prosecuted for contact crimes against children, how often they go to prison. Michelle Lentz, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. All right. So we have covered the non-contact crimes in terms of 
child predation and uh, the percentage of those felons who actually go to prison. Talk now about contact crimes. How many people convicted of contact crimes against children actually go to prison? Yeah, it's less than 40 percent. And I think it's important for people to understand that we are talking about the rape and violent torture of children. You know, we're, this is this is not a victimless crime. And uh, if you if you can imagine, uh, you know, every picture of child pornography or or um, sexual abuse of children, every image and video is a crime scene. But if you have people who are convicted and we're not even talking charged, I mean, they've been convicted of producing this material. We're talking about violent torture and and rape of children. It's just horrific. I'm sure that people listening right now, their jaws have dropped and they can't even believe that we're talking about the kinds of numbers we're talking about. Um, Invite people to sign on to um, to the Protect Minnesota Kids Act. Um, because what what we're looking for here is that in Minnesota specifically, um, that the these crimes would be prosecuted in the same way they're prosecuted at the federal level, because that's really where the difference is, right? The, the the sentencing guidelines. That's correct. Minnesota has some of the worst uh, results in, in the country in terms of convictions, and so the federal government has a standard of. Um, uh, um, prison time, and Minnesota has a standard that is far low in lower in practice than what is on the book. So you know how sometimes you know people will get convicted, there'll be a plea bargain, they get convicted of a lesser charge. Like in Minnesota, over the last five years, there were uh, 427 cases of convictions of possession of child sexual abuse imagery. There were 32 cases of conviction of dissemination, which is the trading of child sexual abuse imagery. And of those 32, only eight got prison sentences. And so just this past uh, legislative session, they, they threw us a crumb. They, they changed the law to... Um, Uh, bring that eight a little closer to the 32, but they did nothing about the 427. And that's trusting that law enforcement and the courts will actually convict people of dissemination. But what they do is they convict on the lesser charge. And so Mm -hmm. they get convicted of possession when they were engaged in, in the trading of this imagery and um, we're so so many of these people are just out on the streets, you know, again, able to uh, um, hurt kids. And in, in the statistics are a little bit hard to verify, but in uh, the, the protect.org report that they put out in 2016 on Minnesota, they they said that in surveys of convicted uh, criminals, Fifty percent were admitting that they were contact offenders. So don't think that these people trading and in possession aren't also hurting kids, but they're not being convicted of it because it's a harder crime to convict on. All right. So there's a couple of websites that if you're listening right now, we definitely want you to check out protect.org. Um, is the one that Michelle just referenced. There's also great resources and opportunities for you to engage, downloadable material for you to use. 
at CPLaction.com. That's the Child Protection League, CPLaction.com. Michelle and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to continue this conversation about our kids. I'm going to ask her about comprehensive sex education um, and what we can do about what's being taught in our schools. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Michelle Lentz from the Child Protection League, you can find the resources that we are discussing today at CPL, that stands for Child Protection League, CPLaction.com. Michelle, bring people up to speed on comprehensive sex education, um, and then we're going to invite people to um, sign the petition to Minnesota legislators to protect kids. Great. Thank you. Um, The... the (laughs) The comprehensive sex bed is like a monster that doesn't go away. I mean, it keeps coming back and it just gets worse. But we have to be vigilant about it and and continue to push back on it. In uh, 2019, the Minnesota um, House of Representatives under um, the Democrat control uh, introduced uh, another comprehensive sex bed bill uh, friends, this is not the biology class you and I probably uh, took in, um, you know, sixth or seventh grade. If if you're in your fifties like I am, this continues to to get worse and to expose children to basically an anything goes um, sexuality. And we stopped it in 2019. The people joined us. The good legislators joined us. We pushed back on it. The Senate uh, wouldn't take up the bill, but the House was um, moving it forward. And so we stopped it in 2019. They reintroduced the exact same bill again this year in 2021. And so it still lives. It it got out of committee in the House, but it didn't go any further than that. We work under a biennium in Minnesota, which means that bill is still alive. And it uh, and so we have to be vigilant and make sure that legislators know that we don't want our children exposed to this kind of material. And I think something that your your listeners don't know and should know is that Minnesota is one of 43 states that exempt our public schools and libraries from our obscenity laws. So when we show books like It's Perfectly Normal, which was Planned Parenthood model curriculum, of comprehensive sex ed, which they wanted mandated on all the schools, which is what that legislation did. Um, We pull out their model curriculum to show people exactly what they think children should be exposed to. It has graphic cartoons uh, of sexual acts. Uh, It says right on the cover for ages 10 and above. And if you were to take that book to the park and show it to the kids, you would be arrested for uh, exposing children to obscenity. The schools can get away with it because they are exempted from Minnesota's obscenity laws. And so that's another law that we think needs to be repealed and changed. Comprehensive sex ed is an anything goes Um, curriculum. It has no morals. The only standard really that's included in it is consent. 
So as long as two people or a group of people or whatever are consenting, then, uh, you know, then anything is fine. And that's what they want to teach our kids. All right. If you guys go to CPLaction.com, one of the little tabs there that you can click on is Take Action. And as you um, scroll down that, you'll see all kinds of places and spaces where you could um, actively engage at the at certainly at the level of legislation, which is what we're talking about. The other one that I found particularly helpful um, was the section on school boards. Like, you know, how do I actually engage in my local community? How do I find out what's being taught in my local schools? How do I appropriately engage in that conversation in a way that is, you know, respectful, but also, you know, puts my foot forward into the conversation and says, hey, I'm going to lean into this um, and I don't want my my values and my value system uh, displaced from the conversation. So I thought that that section of um, of the take action portion of the website under school policies, school boards are the key. Um, and and everything is covered here. Critical race theory, Project 1619, comprehensive sex education, transgenderism, um, all kinds of things that I know are of concern to you if you're listening right now. Um, you can find resources to effectively engage and become equipped at CPLaction.com. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Have a great day. You too. We really appreciate it. we got to take a quick break with Greg Laurie and Knowing God. We got our eyes on global events around the world. This sort of this going to be the pray the pray the headlines or pray the news part of. Um, we don't have time to cover developments in Afghanistan, Cuba, and Haiti this morning. There have been eruptions in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you want to um, check on what's happening there, we've ongoing growing issues related to uh, COVID nineteen food scarcity around the world, human trafficking headlines, um, it would be easier to turn away, would it not? It would be easier to turn away from the devolution taking place in the world that God so loves. But as Christians, we cannot and we must not do that. We care about those about whom God cares, and that means we care about everybody, every person, in every place, under every circumstance. That includes you. It includes me. And it includes people in places um, and enduring hardships that we genuinely cannot imagine. Helping us keep in touch with our brothers and sisters around the world and efforts by Christians to faithfully respond in the midst of every circumstance, uh, Ruth Kramer joins us from Mission Network News. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. There's a battle raging in homes today. It's a battle for control. Hi, I'm Mark Grayston with Parenting Today's Teens. Teens want control of their lives, but I've met many parents who are afraid to let them have it. Moms will tell me that their son is too immature to handle his own life. Or dads want to teach the kid a lesson that the world doesn't revolve around him. This battle for control is natural, but mom, dad, you can't hang on forever. The more you clamp down on your teen, the more she's tempted to control her life in other ways, like violating rules behind your back. 
find little ways to release your grip. You're not losing the battle. You're training your kids to be healthy and independent. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. To boldly go where no one has gone before. That, uh, that, nu- that news, that um, music means Ruth Kramer is here. That is her walk-up music. She boldly goes where other people fear to go. Ruth, welcome back. Yeah, good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Missionnews.org is where you guys are going to want to head uh, for all the links to the stories that we're going to highlight today. Um, tell us what is happening um, with the radio ministry of of TWR. Um, I think this will be of list, of interest to our listeners. Yeah, well, um, Transworld Radio has a major hub located in Sw- the, the area formerly known as Swaziland, which is now called Eswatini. Um, and what we've been watching there is just a kind of an unraveling mess, uh, protests and rioting and things like that that has, has really been building since May. Um, the situation there is that uh, people are trying to hold the kingdom uh, accountable. And uh, Eswatini is one of the only uh, surviving monarchies left in Africa. And so they're really trying to call the king to uh, account for some of the injustices that are going on. And it really was, um, I guess, the, the spark point came about as a result of the death of a law student back in May, uh, in which police were involved with that death and uh, people wanted justice. And supposedly within that system, you're supposed to be able to petition the king if you don't feel that justice has been served through the law. And the king basically shut it down. He said, I don't want to hear anything about this. And um, authorities basically refused any further petitions to the king, which is what kicked off the initial uh, sets of protests, because people were saying, you promised us that we would be heard. You promised justice and you're the king. You're supposed to be dealing with this. So deal with it. And as uh, the the authorities responded to the protests with um, a crackdown, uh, the, the heavier the crackdown, the more angry people got, and it just kind of grew and grew and grew until you had the riots of last week. Um, and, you know, people have died in this situation. Uh, this is a situation where uh, it's such a small area. When you have this kind of unrest, it is very dangerous for pretty much everybody. There's a curfew in place. Um, there's martial law in place now, and uh, the government has shut down most access to social media and a lot of access to the uh, to the internet. Which, for a ministry like Transworld Radio, a lot of their content is delivered by internet. A lot of email, you know, goes on. And just so thinking about all of the business structure that the infrastructure that would be affected by a shutdown of the internet, that's what a small kingdom like Eswatini is facing right now. Transworld Radio is just asking us to continue praying. I did manage to get the interview with their spokesperson in Eswatini. Uh, she found a way to get around the the blockage, but it was very sporadic. So um, if they lose their internet connection, they lose their ability to send content. They lose their ability to update their programming. They're going to have a lot of difficulty broadcasting uh, the way that they've been doing um, if, if they're silenced. So please be praying. Um, it's a very difficult situation. 
Transworld Radio has been uh, continuing with their programming, offering uh, information, but also ways to speak into people's lives when things are so um, so much in upset right now. So um, pray for the staff. The staff has to travel further now to get to places uh, that have still got tentative access to the internet to be able to get to, to be able to get the work done. Um, there's a lot of concern about what could be happening. And this is it, this is one of those things that flies under the radar because Eswatini is such a small country in southern Africa. Um, a lot of people don't pay attention to it, but it is a major hub for Transworld Radio. They've been there for 40 years, so they are really watching this. They're very concerned about what's happening. So we want to stay um, in I well, let me just say this. I was um, up unusually late last night, <clears throat> and sometimes, right, you're just awake when you're supposed to – you think you're supposed to be asleep. And so I figure God has me up for a reason, and I spent some time in prayer, and then I thought, let me just check on what's going on in the world. And one of the things – one of the places that I turn in the middle of the night is BBC World Service. And um, it was interesting because the there was a person on saying, you know, I want to apologize, but our – um, our international broadcast has been interrupted. Um, we are largely dependent on internet technology, and the person who should be talking to you right now currently does not have internet in the nation from which they are broadcasting. And I thought to myself, um, this is not just Transworld Radio dealing with these challenges. This is um, the BBC, which I have to think has a pretty good infrastructure, um, you know, in place for dealing with the challenges that. Um, you know, that are faced by those of us who rely on Internet technology to do what we're doing right now. Ruth and I are relying right now on the technology of the Internet uh, to be talking with you right now, wherever you are listening. So let's be lifting up technology and let's be asking God uh, for his grace in uh, Eswatini and elsewhere around the globe. Um, You've got some terrible news for us out of Nigeria. Could you bring us up to date, Ruth, on what's going on there? Well, this has been a situation that we've been also following for quite some time Uh, in the northern part of the country. uh, You've seen a lot of uh, activity with extremists, with gangs, with Fulani herdsmen, with the Boko Haram, with the uh, Islamic State of West Africa. And in this situation, um, it seems like these bandits, for lack of a better term, uh, like to target schools because they're soft targets. Um, sometime in at the end of June, uh, the authorities in Northwest Kaduna State informed us that um, a group of people, armed people, uh, broke through the wall of a Baptist high school, Bethel Baptist High School, and kidnapped 140 students. Um, in response to what happened at that school, the authorities have also closed 13 schools in and around that area because they are also soft targets and they're trying to um, el- eliminate the the temptation of what is happening here. Uh, what we're seeing is uh, the latest in the spate of school kidnappings for ransom. And this is the fourth such mass kidnapping in that state in the last five months. So you got to consider that this is hundreds of people at a time that uh, the authorities are trying to um, locate students. They're trying to reunite families. They're trying to uh, not give in to terrorists. But at the same time, you've got families that are trying to pay ransom to get their kids back. You've got people that um, managed to escape the initial attack uh, that are wandering around in the bush. Um, there's just It's just kind of 
chaotic in this situation. Um, so what we're hearing is that uh, with the Kaduna State Bethel Baptist High School kidnappings, excuse me, uh, three students have been recovered. Uh, the kidnappers really are very bold in these kinds of situations because they kidnapped the, the students and then they contacted the families and said, your kids are going to starve to death if you don't give us food. So they are actually in contact with the families and trying to get cash, trying to get food, trying to get supplies in return for the students. So be praying for uh, the families involved with this situation because it is obviously very difficult. And, and as these things continue to happen, you feel like the government um, doesn't have a lot of control over what's happening, over the bandits, over uh, just the mass chaos that is taking place in Nigeria. At the same time, we're hearing from our partners at World Mission that uh, the violence has has directly impacted them in another way. Um, two of their missionary bases in northern Nigeria have been completely destroyed. Uh, the missionaries were trapped on campus. Uh, actually, they still are trapped. The converts that they have been working with are totally surrounded by the enemy. So uh, Greg Kelly is asking us to be praying as they work with that situation. I can't get more specific than that because um, they don't want to put at risk what they're working on by giving it too much publicity. Um, so just be praying for that situation. Be praying wisdom for the ministry as they are dealing with it. Um, ask God to change the hearts of the people who have attacked this, these two bases. Um, this may be an opportunity for the gospel to penetrate their lives in a way that it wouldn't have before. Um, it is a difficult situation, and it sounds weird to be asking us to be praying for those who are kidnapping, who are um, uh, destroying, who are uh, hurting people, but this is what they're asking for. So please join us in those prayers. Let us be joining uh, Ruth and others in prayer uh, for the situation, not only in Nigeria, but in other places around the globe. We're going to take a very brief break. Uh, again, you can read the stories behind what we're talking about at missionnews.org. We're going to turn our attention to Japan in just a moment. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find the headlines we're discussing at missionnews.org. Ruth, tell us what's going on in Japan in the lead up to and throughout the Olympics. Well, this is a really cool story because this has a long back history that I, I'm going to share this with you. Um, in 2014, the vision for this prayer initiative that's coming up with the Olympics was born. Um, pastor Keisha Ikeidi, uh is a pastor of a small church in Japan, the uh, Hongodai Christ Church in Yokohama. And uh, he was seeing some great fruition and great growth in uh, in the church planting that he was doing in that region. And then he felt like God was giving him a new vision for Japan. This, keep in mind, this is 2014. And uh, he saw that vision would lead through the Tokyo Olympics of what was supposed to be 2020 and the following Olympics of 2024. 
Um, but the vision was so big that he thought maybe he got it wrong <laughs> because stuff like this just didn't wasn't a thing in Japan. And um, he started to to talk to Asian Access about it because he's an alum of the Asian Access curriculum and the the leadership training development program there. the The vision was ten by ten. And he asked God for clarity on what that actually meant. And what it means is that 10% of the population would be following Christ by 2024. That's a lot of people. <laughs> That's a huge amount of people. Uh. And in order to see this happen, nothing like this, nothing of this size happens without the covering of prayer. And that is where the uh, the prayer initiative was born. So uh, Japan One Million is the prayer initi initiative that they're launching right now to cover Japan in a million hours of prayer. And the Olympics is Japan's moment to be prayed for. This is the, 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 the foundational work that they want to see happen in order to be able to start um, sharing the gospel and planting churches and moving toward that 10 by 10 vision of Pastor Keishi. Um, this is just a, a huge am amount of logistics, you know, that, that's going on here. And that's partly why they launched the website, uh, japan1million.com, to let people sign up and commit to certain amounts of prayer. Uh, there's information on the website to tell you a little bit more about what's happening in Japan, about the country itself, so you know what you're praying for as you join uh, the church network in Japan in praying for 10% of the population to be followers of Christ. When you consider that um, probably within the last uh, decade, uh, Japan has a, a very, very small percentage of, of Christians. In fact, um, the, the leader of Asian Access was saying that they're among the largest unreached people group um, because the access to God's word really wasn't there because the gospel really wasn't there until the tsunami hit. And when the tsunami hit, then you had all of these ministries that were coming in and that they, they were kind of um, the beachhead of the beginnings of the movement uh, that we're seeing now. Um, so this is something that, that the Japanese body of Christ is really uh, encouraging the world to join them in because they are so on fire to see this happen. 2024 is what they're hoping to see, that 10% of the population becoming followers of Christ. And they're asking everybody to get involved in signing up at japan1million.com for some prayer to cover Japan in prayer during the Olympics and, and beyond because of what could be happening. They're asking God to move in a mighty way. This is a really exciting prayer initiative because it is so bold. It is so big. It It's almost ridiculous, you know, a big, hairy, audacious <laughs> goal. And when you, you hear the enthusiasm and the passion of these pastors that has continued to grow since 2014, um, this has just a, been a, an amazing thing, especially when you see how much um, has interfered with the possibility of seeing this happen. This was supposed to be a um, an in-person kind of initiative, uh, but obviously with the coronavirus and the pandemic shutting everything down and delaying the Olympics a year, and then Japan actually just saying, we're not going to have any spectators because of the, the potential of the, the pandemic, you know, um, just growing in numbers here. They've had to pivot over and over and over again and, and just kind of revamp everything they were going to do uh, to cover Japan in prayer and to see the witness of the gospel go forward here. Um, so this is a situation where when they're, they're just going to stand back and say, God, do your thing. 
and they're inviting all of us to take part. All right, the website is Japan, and then the number one, japan one million dot com. All right, um, Ruth, we have uh, we got like one minute left. Tell us about this good news um, from the seminary celebrating their 2020 and 2021 classes. I, I just thought this was great. Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. The Arab Baptist Theological Seminary trains the the church leaders of the future into be pastors to be the church planters in the Middle East um, and, and beyond. And this is just kind of a neat thing because the graduates really didn't think they were going to be able to graduate. So you're seeing uh, a whole leader, a whole generation of church leadership coming out of a full theological seminary training uh, for 2020 and 2021 um, in overcoming odds that they just didn't think they were going to be able to overcome. You're, you're talking about a seminary that's based in Lebanon that has seen the pandemic, that has seen the refugee crisis, that has seen the massive blast that wiped out so much of the city, um, that has seen the, uh, the, the challenges of a traditional seminary just uh, have to be surmounted uh, in this situation. To see that you have people that are willing to sacrifice incredible amounts to be able to finish their education because they want to serve in the capacity of being shepherds of a body of Christ is really encouraging and amazing. And this is something that is, has been going on for a long time. But given the challenges of the last couple of years, to see this small core group managed to finish their studies in light of everything that's going on around them in Beirut. Um, this is this is something where God has prepared them for something amazing. I love it. All right, uh, that's Ruth Kramer. You can read all the headlines we've discussed and so much more at missionnews.org. We'll be right back. All right, this is really cool. Remember, today is 7.14, and so at 7.14 a.m. in every time zone across the country and in many time zones around the world, the Bible reading marathon began or begins. Um, And so nearly eight hours ago now in the nation of Israel, Jews began reading the Law and the Prophets, and when they complete the reading of what we receive as the Old Testament, Christians are then going to stand and begin reading the New Testament. So the nationwide Bible reading marathon is happening right now. If you want to participate in it, well, all you have to do is open your Bible and start reading. Um, so the reason behind the 714 is, as we discussed yesterday, Second Chronicles 714. And so let us be a people called by God's name who humble ourselves and pray on this day um, in repentance and for God to bring renewal to this land. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.